Last week on The Business of Bees. Viral mite is the biggest issue that beekeepers deal with. A plague of invasive mites is decimating commercial bee colonies. They use their mouth parts to suck a blood-like fluid from the bee larvae. So these aren't happy bees, by any means, but they have donated their lives to science. In addition to feeding on the bees, they also transmit diseases that may be playing a critical role in the high die-off rates beekeepers have seen for the past decade. It's not just Varroa, it's the viruses that they transmit. And what we've seen, I think, is that these viruses have changed an awful lot. You're listening to The Business of Bees, the podcast about pollinators from Bloomberg Environment, Chapter 6 of Pollinators and Pesticides. And look at the uh, literary reference here. You're uh, writing a novel. That, of course, is the voice of David Schultz. Hello, David. Hello, Adam. Uh, are you ready for this? Episode 6, the final episode in our little pop-up podcast? I am ready. But before we begin, I've got a vocabulary question for you. How do you say neonicotinoid? You mean neonicotinoids? That's how I've always pronounced it. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we can just go with neonics for short. But however you pronounce it, to many people, they're known as the bee-killing pesticide. Neonics are a new class of insecticides developed in the 1990s that's chemically related to nicotine. And like nicotine, they also act on the receptors in the nervous system. But unlike other pesticides that are typically sprayed or applied directly to the plants, neonics are often applied as a coating directly onto seeds. So when that seed starts to grow, it absorbs some of the chemical, and then the entire plant becomes toxic to insects. It's what scientists call a systemic insecticide. And that is really important. It's a huge deal for farmers. Instead of having to first plant the crop and then come back later with a tractor or crop duster to spray, now once the seed is planted, you're good to go. And another big advantage is that since you're not spraying, you don't have to worry about things drifting onto neighboring fields. Oh, and one last thing. Unlike the older organophosphate and carbamate pesticides, neonics are considerably less toxic to mammals and birds. Jeez, what's not so like? I mean, from the way you describe them, they sound like the greatest thing since pants with pockets. Well, while neonics were initially praised for their low toxicity to beneficial insects, including bees, recent studies now show that low-level contamination of nectar and pollen with neonics may be harming bees much more than previously thought. The lethal dose for a honeybee is only about three or four billionths of a gram. So it's really hard to get your head around this, but it, basically these things are phenomenally poisonous. This is David Goulson. He's a professor of biology focusing on bumblebees at the University of Sussex in the UK. To put that another way, one teaspoon of a neonicotinoid is enough to deliver a lethal dose to one and a quarter billion honeybees. And we're applying thousands of kilos of this stuff to the landscape all the time. Wow, that's uh, pretty bad. He's really uh, not mincing words there. And likewise, because of the way neonics are designed to attack the central nervous system, Golson says that even sublethal doses may cause a variety of problems for bees. A few weeks back, I paid a visit to a guy who keeps about 15 hives at the top of a building right in downtown Washington, D.C. And on this particularly hot day, the bees were not into me or my microphone. 
No, don't blow. Uh, because they hate the hot... Okay. Uh, They're going after my microphone because yeah. it's black. Yeah, so keep it in the shade and then they are going to be fine. That guy standing next to me offering his advice is Hartmut Dobel. I'm a, a professor here at George Washington University and we are on the roof of one of our buildings. And if you look into the southeast direction, you see the beautiful Washington Monument. For the past nine years or so, Doble has been testing the impact of field-realistic doses of common pesticides on bees. And what kinds of pesticides are you exposing them? We are using the most common ones, the neonicotinoids, which is an insecticide that is a nervous system poison. And then, surprise, surprise, we also use a herbicide that is supposed to kill weeds and not insects. Along with his student helpers, Doble has been investigating the relationship between exposure to neonics and problems associated with bees' learning and memory. Bees learn colors. We can train them to recognize one color over another color or shapes, even my face. According to his test, Doble says there's a clear connection between exposure to even trace amounts of neonic pesticides and decreased cognitive functions in bees. And when the uh, environment near the flowers or the flowers themselves has been treated with pesticides, they carry that home. And we have noticed that within one to two hours of exposure to these minute levels of pesticides, they have forgotten what we taught them to remember. Other researchers have made this connection as well, that these neurotoxic pesticides may be impairing the bees' ability to navigate or even to make their way back to the hives. Yeah, and as far as the idea that there might be other non-chemical explanations for the recent decade or so of high die-off rates. Things like varroa mites? Yeah, exactly. Well, Doble doesn't buy it. There's this myth out there that colony collapse is caused by varroa mites, but that is totally wrong in my view because uh, we have also um, mega declining bee losses in Australia, which is always cited as that one example, there's no varroa and there's no colony collapse. But you talk to those beekeepers over there, they are afraid of putting their hives near agricultural settings for pollination services because of all the pesticides. But despite the science being done by Doble and hundreds and hundreds of other researchers, this question of how much pesticides factor into insect and pollinator declines is still very much in debate. Yeah, and there's also some credible science that shows that not only is the data on neonics and bee mortality inconclusive, but many of the pesticide products being used today are actually safer for the bees than what we had in the past. If you go back, uh, you know, 50 years, uh, everything was a very broad spectrum insecticide. But the modern insecticides are much safer than what we had in the past. This is David Fisher. He works for the largest agrochemical company in the world. I'm a chief scientist, uh, director of pollinator safety with Bear Crop Science, based here in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. Contrary to the headlines you might read about things such as a bee apocalypse, Fisher says we can't even definitively say that the insect and bee populations today are actually lower than historical averages. 
really, we don't have a lot of good data on the status of those. It's it, I know it's widely stated that there's a decline going on, but aside from uh, a few bumblebee species, we don't have good data that says that there has been a decline. Fisher says the Environmental Protection Agency has thoroughly examined the use of neonics in the field and come to the conclusion that when used as instructed, the risk to bees is low, even at the sublethal level. I'm not aware of any studies that show widespread occurrence of levels in, you know, the matrices inside beehives, pollen or nectar of neonicotinoids that would cause harm. And perhaps just as important, he says farmers need access to a variety of pest control products. One of the keys in controlling pests and managing the resistance that might build up is to rotate different products, just as when you're trying to manage uh, bacterial infections and things like that, doctors have to rotate amongst the different antibiotic, you know, so you don't get resistance. The farmers have to do the same thing. Before we continue on, let's just take a short break to tell you about how you can win some honey. Marissa Horn is one of the producers of The Business of Bees. Hey, Marissa. Hi. So, Marissa, one of the things that we've been trying to do to spread the word about this podcast is to encourage people to talk about it, either on social media or by leaving a review in the Apple Podcast Library. That's right. So, as a way to encourage and reward that, we thought we'd offer up a few prizes. Prizes? So, what are we talking about here? Well, our friends at Founding Farmers right here in Washington, D.C. have given us a few jars of locally produced honey to send to listeners who have been nice enough to leave a review. So, if you'd like to be eligible, send us a screenshot of your review along with a preferred mailing address store signal number, 571-329-4495. We'll leave the text line open until July 15th, at which point the winners will be selected at random. Wow, that sounds great. Thanks, Marissa. Okay, welcome back. So, if you speak to pesticide companies, as we have, to hear them tell it the amount of time being spent investigating the negative impact of neonics on bees is actually out of proportion compared to the biggest threat facing honeybees today, the varroa mite. I'm a beekeeper myself. It is not easy to manage these bees. Stephanie Darnell is a pollinator safety scientist at BASF, one of the top three manufacturers of pesticides in the world. These girls can be very finicky and and they want to be taken care of with quality food and habitat around them. And then also we need to help them manage the pests and diseases that attack them. And because the majority of neonics are coated directly onto seeds rather than sprayed, Darnell says that makes them a much more targeted application and therefore less likely to harm insects in surrounding fields or meadows. So you're actually coating that seed with that product and giving a targeted control of pests in the ground. So this is very selective control and is considered one of the a minimal impact to pollinators when used according to label directions. But there are also those who question the pesticide company's statements here, that neonic-coated seeds are less likely to impact off-target insects. That is basically lying, I'm afraid. Um, There is abundant evidence that bees are routinely exposed when free-flying 
to levels of pesticides that um, do them harm. Again, David Goulson from the University of Sussex. It's just nonsense to claim that you can produce an insecticide that effectively controls insect pests, but that doesn't kill the insects you don't want to kill. I, no one has yet managed to do that, and I very much doubt whether they ever will. On the face of it, it seems like a great idea, and you can see why farmers like it. They buy the seeds pre-coated, they can drill them straight into the ground, they don't have to go out with a tractor and spray afterwards. And because they're not spraying, they, they, you're not going to get spray drift into the next field or the hedgerow or into a garden or whatever. Sounds great, but the reality is it isn't anywhere near as good as you'd think. Coulson says even though the chemicals aren't being sprayed directly onto the plants, the neonics are still leaching out into the soil and groundwater, where they're then absorbed and taken up into other plants in the environment. The cumulative impact then being that bees are being exposed to neonics at varying concentrations literally all across the landscape. And we know this, he says, because of science. There's been many, many studies now where people have sampled honey and pollen stores from bumblebee nests. Scientists based in Switzerland who obtained honey samples from all around the world, and 75% of the honey samples they screened contained neonicotinoids. So three quarters of the world's honeybees are being exposed to what is a neurotoxin that is specifically designed to kill insects. But it's an important thing to point out. It's not like farmers aren't taking this issue of pollinator die-off seriously. In fact, many have already changed the way they apply chemicals to the landscape. Oh, hi there, Tiffany Stecker. Hey, guys. You didn't think I was going to sit out this last episode, did you? <laughs> so, Tiffany... Earlier this year, you and I spoke to quite a few almond farmers. The California almond industry is the crop that is most closely linked with the commercial beekeeping industry. That's right. It's also changed a lot. In recent years, most almond farmers have adopted certain best practices designed to minimize the exposure of bees to chemicals that could kill them. We do all our sprays at night when the bees are, have gone dormant and they're, they're in their hives um, when temperatures cool down. People may remember Blake Davis from episode one. He's an orchard manager for a company called Pacific Gold Agriculture, which grows almonds and pecans in the Central Valley of California. Even after beehives have been removed from the orchard during pollination, we still do it because you have natural bees flying around. Um, you have natural pollinators flying around and we don't want to disrupt that. As he walked us through his almond orchard last February, Davis says no grower really wants to spray pesticides. I mean, for one thing, it's a cost. So if they can get by using less, they'll do it. But also there's still a number of pests that if they don't spray the insecticides could easily take a big bite out of their crop. So the biggest one in almonds around here is navel orange worm. That's been the one that's hurt the most. We also worry about mites is a big one in this orchard. According to California law, farmers need to apply for a permit from the county ag commissioner to use pesticides that fall under the category of restricted use, including most insecticides. And in areas where beehives are present, like an orchard, almond farmer Mike Doherty says even chemicals that aren't on the restricted list might still require a permit. We use less chemicals than the typical backyardists in the Bay Area and in the L.A. basin. I mean, we have to have a license. We have an advisor. You can go buy the same chemicals in, at your local hardware store and spray in a tree that we haven't been able to spray for 20 years. At the end of the day, Doherty says it does nothing for him to spray chemicals that put beehives at risk, especially since he's so dependent on commercial beekeepers for pollination. 
I I want the bees to be doing their best job, right? So it does it does no good for me to be to be spraying a harmful chemical that is going to hurt the bees. That's going to affect my pollination. And farmers don't typically spray any more than they have to, and we only spray with a recommendation from a licensed pest control advisor. Despite the efforts of Doherty and other farmers, pesticide use in California has continued to go up, now at close to 200 million pounds of active ingredients per year, according to data from the California Department of Pesticide Regulation. And within that total are a hefty amount of neonics, as well as other controversial pesticides, such as chlorpyrifos, which the state is currently in the process of phasing out. Do you think that some regulations are important for for pollinators to keep them healthy from either the state or the federal government? Or do you think that farmers can be trusted to be good stewards on their own? Yeah, I I think we're getting to a point where farmers can be trusted to be good stewards. You're having a lot more growers coming out of schools, the kids taking over. Um, we're, We're being a lot more environmentally um, concerned about what's going on. And this is something like for me personally, I have three young kids that I would really love to see them farm one day. And so, you know, I, I don't just do this for my paycheck every, every couple weeks. It's something I hope to see them doing because I love it so much. And they're out here running around with us. All right. Just before we go any further here, can I just get the three of us, Tiffany and Adam, just to explain what the precise relationship is between pesticides and dying bees? Uh, I mean, isn't that obvious? I mean, insecticides kill insects. Or do you mean, like, what's driving this supposed increased rate that bees are dying? Because that could be a factor of the total volume of pesticides being used. Or maybe the pesticides we are using are just much more toxic. I'm going to say, yeah, all of that. (laughs) Well, that's a good question. Do you want to take that, Tiffany? Gee, thanks. Well, I think this is where it gets easy to lose the plot because... You can have multiple things happening all at once, with each thing playing a role in pollinator health, but is one of them more impactful than the others? For instance, if the number of acres under cultivation is increasing, that's going to put more pressure on bees in the form of habitat loss and exposure to chemicals. And I guess it can also be the case that bee health is being compromised from parasites, but at least according to all the pesticide companies we spoke to over the course of our reporting, They all told us that the vast majority of the scientific evidence shows there is no link between increased pesticide use and declines in bee population or bee health. And others have also pointed out that if there was a connection between neonics and bee die-offs, we'd expect to see higher mortality in parts of the country where they plant the most neonic-coated seeds. And that isn't exactly the case. But I keep coming back to this issue of sublethal exposure. That seems to be the area where the science still has the most gaps to fill in. At that sublethal level, things get much murkier in a murky subject already. That's Reed Johnson. He's an entomology professor at Ohio State. And my work is on honeybees mainly, but the effects of pesticides on pollinators. One particular focus of Johnson's research is studying the impacts when so-called bee-safe pesticides are mixed with other chemicals out in the field. So insecticides are all tested for their bee toxicity, and I'd say probably 80, 90 percent of them are bee toxic. I mean, insecticides are designed to kill insects, and it's no surprise that they kill bees as well. 
Speaking at the annual conference of the American Beekeeping Federation earlier this year, Johnson said that while a test on an adult bee in the lab might not kill the bee, it's very difficult to test for the conditions bees actually experience out in the field, especially if a pesticide is mixed with any number of other chemicals, say a fungicide. There is a good amount of research that goes into any pesticide before it's registered. And this is kind of this, this huge body of work that nobody outside of the EPA scientists ever gets to see, really. These companies are testing their materials, and they're, they're doing a, a good job of it, actually. But they're not required to test them in combination. But the problem is there's just so many combinations that are possible out there. And if you were going to test everything in every possible permutation, it just is overwhelming and we would never get any new pesticide out there. Johnson says it's quite common for farmers to mix in a bit of fungicide or an adjuvant when spraying other chemicals. An adjuvant is a chemical that helps pesticides coat and stick to leaves. According to Johnson, there is very credible evidence that combinations of certain pesticides and fungicides are much more toxic to pollinators than previously thought. The deal with fungicides and adjuvants is these will never kill. I mean, it's very hard to kill a bee with a non-insecticide pesticide because that's just not what they're designed to do. That's not to say they're without effect. They could have, you know, effects on bee longevity or effects on larval development that you wouldn't see with the traditional kind of testing that, that was done to demonstrate relative bee safety. But at least with honeybees, like the kind used in commercial pollination, Johnson says you can simply pick up a hive and move it out of the field or orchard before chemicals are applied. And a solitary bee is a solitary bee. There's, there's nobody else to pick up the slack if, if a solitary bee gets either killed or you know, severely impaired from a pesticide exposure. Despite this new research into fungicides, the consensus among most of the researchers we spoke to for this series, including Reed Johnson, is that while increased use of neonics may be a factor in pollinator declines, it's not the biggest driver. But it's also worth noting that regulators in the EU have essentially banned all outdoor uses of neonics. And that's important because these large regulatory bodies tend to eventually end up at the same place. That's right. It's hard to say... You know, this chemical, which is banned in Europe, is just fine in the U.S. If we have bee die-off or other species of pollinators, it's probably an indication that maybe things aren't that healthy for people. This is Congressman Earl Blumenauer, a Democrat from Oregon, who just introduced a bill in the House that would drastically limit the use of neonics in agriculture. Uh, the, the pollinators are kind of uh, indicator species. Uh, things that people can relate to if uh, bumblebees disappear and uh, people, like has happened in some cases of China, where they're, they're having to pollinate the apple trees by hand. Huh. Kind of an interesting development. I come from the Pacific Northwest. People care about pears and apples. Blumenauer says that as the public has become more aware of the ties between pesticides and pollinators, Lawmakers are paying increasing attention to this issue, too. This isn't just sort of a fringe issue anymore. Uh, This strikes to the core of what they do, their quality of the product, uh, what they do to the landscape, and the value of the product in the long term. 
Blumenauer told us he thinks it's inevitable that pesticide companies and farmers will have to find alternatives that don't harm pollinators. And the general public, that is, people who don't rely on neonics to keep their crops free of pests, is increasingly coming on board. According to a statement given to us from the American Farm Bureau Federation, neonics are a critically important product for farmers. And if neonics were banned or restricted for use in agriculture, farmers would have no option but to use older chemicals or possibly just produce less food. Dennis Van Enkelsdorp is a professor of entomology at the University of Maryland. He also manages an annual survey of commercial beekeepers that documents die-off rates and gathers data that might explain increases or declines. The pesticide problem overall, so if we look at the overall state of pesticides, 20% of samples come in clean, that we don't find any pesticides. That means we're seeing in 80% some level of pesticides. Most of those pesticides are beekeeper applied pesticides to control varroa. Also, most of those pesticides we detect are at very, very low levels where it's really hard to imagine it's going to cause damage. The one that gets a lot of attention, of course, are the neonics, and we just don't find very much of them. And when we do find them, it's clear that they're at very high levels and they should be hurting the bees. So we find them once in a while, but not very often. And so, so the question is, is well, what, what is the highest risk? And I think that that is not clear. But even if neonics aren't the smoking gun that many people say they are, Van Engelsdorp says the fact that so many seeds come pre-coated with this stuff, even if we don't need it, may actually prove to be the bigger problem. However, I don't know that if we took the neonics out of the story, it would have a very dramatic effect on the average loss in the country. I think it might have an effect on some beekeeper, certain beekeepers' losses, but I don't know if over the entire nation it would have a dramatic effect. All right. So where does that leave us? It leaves me feeling like I've just taken a crash course on agricultural toxicology. I know. But I think the upshot is basically that this issue of neonics and pollinator die-offs is this really complicated scientific question, and we need to get more data and more testing. Yeah, but just look around you. There are no shortage of states and countries that are throwing up bans and restrictions on insecticides, including some here in the U.S. that may soon include neonics. So this issue isn't going away anytime soon. The Business of Bees podcast was produced by myself, Adam Allington, Tiffany Stecker, and David Schultz, and Marissa Horn, who also edits the show. Our other editors on this episode were Josh Block, Greg Henderson, and Melissa Robinson. Our fact checkers were Jordan Rubin and Patricio Chile. Music for this episode is courtesy of a Creative Commons license from Poddington Bear. Thank you so much to all of you for listening, as well as for sending us your comments and feedback. We really appreciate it. That's it. 